You are listening to the acclaimed Professional by Choice podcast that is going to prepare you for the competitive professional world. Just like any sport, being a professional takes time, effort, practice, and commitment. With rigorous training and focus, you will know what it takes to be a professional. And now presenting your host, hailing from East Chicago, Indiana, the man, the Marine, the legend, the all-knowing master of the professional routine, Chris Molina. Welcome to another episode of the Professional by Choice podcast. Today's guest is Eric Jackman, better known as New York Rick. I initially know him from his time as the MMA Hour producer, where he helped lay much of the behind the scenes groundwork for what we know today as mixed martial arts media. Nowadays, he holds the title as senior social media specialist at ESPN, where he has the responsibility of managing the at ESPN MMA and at ESPN ringside handles on every platform. If you ask him, he'll say that he's just a kid from Queens raising a queen himself and that his iPhone screen time is alarmingly high, but that's really just a side effect of having ESPN MMA on his back. So New York Rick, welcome to the PBC podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. So I'm very excited that you're spending time with us today and I can't wait to dive in. But first, how's your day been so far? Uh, just got up maybe an hour or so ago. It's uh, now 10 a.m. on the East Coast. Um, my wife and my daughter are uh, still asleep, so it's a nice quiet time for daddy. Uh, gonna drink a little bit of tea and uh, talk to you. Yeah, I got coffee in hand, so I think we're both caffeinating for the beginning of our day together. <laughs> so before we get into your story and the few questions that I have for you, do you have any current or upcoming projects or life events that you're excited about that you don't mind sharing with us today? Um, upcoming projects. Wow, that's a great question. I would say under normal circumstances, I probably would. Under the current circumstances, I think everybody's kind of just going with the flow, trying to you know keep their feet moving and sure. kind of hit the targets that are immediately in front of them. I can say this if, you know, if people are listening to this uh, because they, they know me and, and they're familiar with my work, we have some fights coming up on ESPN usually every Saturday for the next couple of weeks. Um, we've got UFC fights and then also WWE and ESPN have partnered and they're showing WrestleMania events on oh, Sundays. Wow. So there's a bit of quote unquote combat sports. I know obviously wrestling is uh, scripted, but sure. um, there's quote unquote combat sports coming up for the next couple of weekends on ESPN on Saturday with UFC fights and on Sunday with WrestleMania. So uh, yeah, we'll be putting out social content on our uh, ESPN, ESPN MMA, ESPN ringside for boxing handles in that time frame. So uh, give us a follow and, and follow along. Yeah. And that, that's got to be nice to get back to some type of routine or normalcy, even though this is hopefully a routine that won't last very long, but that's got to be nice for all of you guys over there at ESPN. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously with no live sports across the entire landscape of the sports industry, ESPN is looking for things to kind of fill that air. So, you know, in the absence of, of the major sports, one of the things that's reliably there based on our archival rights is UFC fights mm -hmm. and doing that deal with WWE is WrestleMania events, having top ranked boxing on the air. That's another thing. So combat sports is actually super valuable right now as, as a commodity mm -hmm. um, and something that ESPN is leaning into. And also it's brand building. You know, we want sure. people to be in the e ESPN plus like ecosystem. We want people to be able to watch the next pay-per-view. And it seems like based on all the current talk that April 18th is going to be a pay-per-view headlined by Tony Ferguson and Habib Nurmagomedov. So yep. um, yeah, it's, it's kind of foundational, but it's also, out of need and, and something that I think ESPN is doing really well. Yeah. And uh, I think that is kind of smart to, to lean on those things, especially mixed martial arts, given how new it is to ESPN and how they're trying to introduce their audience to it. So, I mean, I don't, I assume that you would get more viewers with new fights that they haven't seen because they haven't been exposed to it versus playing old NBA games from last season or NFL games from last season because uh, they just watch those things. But that kind of segues into uh, my first question that I generally have for my guests regarding their disciplines. So it's clear that you're passionate about two things, mixed martial arts and combat sports in general, and then also media work. So why? Why have you chosen mixed martial arts and why have you chosen media? 
Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I've never <laughs> actually thought about it. Um, I've given my answer on how I started, you know, getting interested in mixed martial arts. Mm -hmm. I've never really like sat down and thought about the why too mm -hmm. much. You know, digesting it quickly now, sure. I kind of would say that like I almost didn't have a choice. I would say I almost didn't um, choose mixed martial arts and it chose me. I know that's sure. like a lame cliche answer um, <laughs> and probably one better given by a fighter, but in all actuality, I was a fan from a young-ish age. I want to say I was in junior high school mm -hmm. and my buddy had UFC 2 on VHS. We, okay. might, we either rented it from Blockbuster or he had it in the house because somebody that he know, an, an uncle, his dad or somebody was a fan as well. Mm -hmm. But when he put on uh, UFC 2 and I saw what Hoist Gracie was doing in, you know, to these guys in his gi, sure. um, it blew my mind and I just I couldn't believe that like it just didn't logically make sense to me that a guy that size was able to neutralize the size of opponents that he was facing. Sure. And from that moment, I had to look more into it, got more excited about UFC, started watching way more events and things that I had missed to that point. Because at that point, UFC 2 was an old event. This is, uh -huh. you know, not in the 90s when it was happening. So I had to uh, go back and get myself educated. But from that point on, I really didn't have much of a choice. It just hooked me. Hmm. Um, and I, and I knew that I had to be involved in mixed martial arts in some sure. way. Sure. Cause How you were just so passionate up, about that. It just, it blew my mind. It yeah. really blew my mind. Hoist Gracie blew my mind. And now obviously I recognize that the sport has completely gone away from that. Like it has evolved to where it's no longer like who's the toughest guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and what's the most important discipline and there are to weight an classes. actual, <laughs> and there are weight classes and rules and regulation and, and, uh, you know, a, a true sport and competitive nature to it. But that element of it, I have nostalgia for and really just like completely shifted um, what I thought about fighting. And so from there, you know, I started pursuing a career in media and marketing. I actually got a degree from my college in marketing. Mm. But and on the back burner, I always wanted to figure out a way to do something in mixed martial arts. And so I reached out to um, Ariel Hawani via email, who's a very well-known host in the mixed martial arts space. Mm -hmm. And from there, it's kind of been history. I've uh, worked with him and uh, in the MMA space for many years. But to answer your question directly, I think I really don't know <laughs> why. I think it chose me more than I chose it. Sure. And that, that seemed to be your answer for mixed martial arts, which I think is the answer that people will give whenever they found their passion, their reason. It might sound cliche, but their reason for being on this earth, like they just are there's a gravitational pull from them to it. Um, but as far as media, was that just something yeah. that you thought was interesting or did you see the writing on the wall that this might be a bigger industry in the future? Yeah, that, that, that part I think was out of necessity. So okay. in order to get into MMA, I was not going to be a fighter at that mm -hmm. point. I knew like, I'm not in this. I don't want to fight. Like maybe, you know, I've, I've done jujitsu at various points in my life. I kind of, I'm in a lull right now after, sure. Um, my daughter was born. It's, it's hey, hard me, to get to me too. I was, I was doing um, four, four months strong of uh, two times a week. And then my daughter happened. Yeah. That, you know, life happens and, and it makes it hard, but I knew I didn't want to be a fighter. It wasn't, it wasn't the path for me. I, when I, when I saw those videos, it didn't inspire me to say, Oh, I want to do that. It more inspired me to know all about it and, and kind of cover it. And so I feel like it's necessity from the perspective of I knew the easiest way of entry was to kind of align myself with people who I respected and knew in the mixed martial arts space. And I mentioned Ariel Hawani and he has been even back then and still is today, the preeminent journalist in the sport. He, sure. he is recognized as, you know, universally as, as the number one journalist in the sport. And so I knew that my fastest path there was to try to figure out how to align with him, figure out how to get involved in what he's doing. And then on the other side of things, I was just a fan of, of his work. His interviews were the thing I was consuming. Mm -hmm. Television shows were the things I was consuming. So naturally, media seemed to me like the easiest entry point, in addition to be some, being something that I was already a consumer of and a fan of. So sure. um, it kind of aligned that way. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit about this, and that is your career path. So the, the role of a social media specialist or anything to do with social media is pretty relatively new, but can you explain your career path to where you are now and maybe some advice to people who aspire to have the type of job that you have right now? Yeah, sure. It's a little bit winding. It wasn't a very like linear, clean cut path. Sure. I went 
to college for marketing, as I mentioned. I thought myself to maybe be like Don Draper, like at the okay. time Mad Men was hot. I was like, yeah, advertising seems cool and sexy. And yeah, um, Don Draper's the man. in your office yeah, and you, get drunk. You get to get drunk in the, in the middle of the day and, and you know, uh, smoke cigarettes and go to pools and just live it up. And um, I thought that that was, you know, what was, what, what was cut out for me. But I realized quickly, like in applying for the jobs, that it wasn't really that. I was getting, you know, entry level marketing. And this is like, immediately post recession. So it was a very sure. difficult time to kind of find a job. Jobs that I was applying for were a lot of like telemarketing and direct to consumer marketing mm-hmm. and not really in the advertising scope that I had done. Now I have to admit, I didn't do the legwork in college in terms of internships. Sure. I had an internship, but it wasn't one in my field. And, mm-hmm. and if I could do it all again, I would really revise what I did in college. Not from the academic side. I was very buckled down. I had a, I had a very good college experience, but I didn't do internships in my field. If Mm -hmm. I was going to truly pursue marketing and advertising, I should have probably tried to do an internship at a big advertising agency. Sure. Um, But I did not. So I I was applying for jobs and I just really didn't find anything that interests me. And as I said, it was a recession. So the places that I would have wanted to work were hiring much more experienced candidates and there really wasn't an opportunity. So what I did from there was I I took an internship myself, even though I was already Mm post-grad and I took an internship at a media website called Gawker Media. Okay. And the reason I went there and and the way that came about was just, again, me being a fan of of what they were doing on the TV side of things. Mm -hmm. At the time they had a TV vertical called Gawker TV where they would just cut funny clips from television. Hmm. And it was something that I read regularly and something that I loved a lot. And I applied for an internship there. And I still talk to many, many of the interns that I did an internship with over there. Um, It's it's something that was like really crucial and important in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though it was short-lived, it was like a year, a year and a half maybe. But I did that internship at Gawker TV. Mm -hmm. And during that internship, at the time that I realized it was kind of coming to a conclusion and you know, you can't be an intern forever. Yep. I reached out to Ariel Hawani via email and I said, essentially, hey, I don't know what I'm asking for at the moment, but I do know <laughs> that I want to work with you. Yeah. I don't know what that means. I don't know what role you have. <laughs> I don't know, you know, what's going to happen from here, but I do know I want to work with you. And it was that same kind of mentality that I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. was I just knew I wanted to work in MMA. I didn't know how. I mm-hmm. didn't know what. So. I sent that email. And, and you I know, asked, just to interrupt sorry, really quick, I love how against the grain that type of advice just from your life experiences is compared to what we are telling our college students today. So that is my specialty is talking to college students. So I wrote a book and it helps teach college students how to be become better leaders and better professionals. And it's called I'm in a leadership role. Now what? But that's what I do. That's what I'm passionate about. And everything that we're telling these college students about getting their jobs is following the pipeline and, and, and going to career fairs and doing all the things. And granted, what you said is, I think, important of ensuring that you get internships in your passion. And another thing that you're echoing is just finding your passion. What do you love doing? Try to find a way to do that or be involved in that because that will give you the most happiness. But as far as finding those positions, it's always applying for jobs, going online, going to career fairs, having your your polished resume, and not finding the top person in your field or something that you're interested in and sending them a message saying, hey, I don't know what I'm doing right now, but um, I wanted to message you. (laughs) Yeah. And I do have to admit, like, mine is a story of mine is a tale of luck, timing, all those things that are crucial and important to everybody. Like nothing is going to happen without you getting a little bit of a break. Nothing is going to happen without you having some luck. You're nothing's Mm going to align exactly as you want. You're not going to be able to say, Hey, I graduated. Now I have my resume. Now I hand it to this person. Now they give me a job. There's always going to be struggles. You're always going to deal with rejection. You're always going to deal with opportunities missed and lost and Mm -hmm. whatever. But mine was one of luck where I reached out to the top person in, in the field, the top person doing <laughs> what they were doing. And he happened to be, so at the time, Ariel Hawani's uh, program called the mm-hmm. MMA Hour was with AOL. Okay. Right at that moment that I was emailing with him, 
AOL had sold it to a company called Vox Media sure. um, and a website called MMA Fighting. Mm-hmm. So in that transition period, they didn't have any staff. They were really building up their staff at the time. Yep. And they were in need of somebody who knew something about MMA. Mm-hmm. So at the time I emailed him, the one thing I tried to get across in that email is like, I don't know, you know what the role is. I don't know, you know what I'd be doing, mm-hmm. but I do know my MMA. Sure. And so it, you know, it was fortuitous for me at that time that they needed somebody who knew MMA. So he, uh, he looped me in with people at Vox who he was, you know, wholly unfamiliar with. He was kind of entrusting them to, sure. to get this thing back off the ground. They interviewed me. I started as an intern. I literally built his studio sure. that was not in existence. We had to build a studio from scratch. I literally built his studio with the help of many, many others. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to everybody at the, at the Vox Media team. Sure. And so we built the studio and, and got off from there, which slowly transitioned to, you know, me getting on airtime me wholly producing the show, mm-hmm. me distributing the content. And then from there, it kind of just became, you know, utility, sure. uh, utility player for the show, yeah. um, doing all the things on the back end that needed to be done. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important to say at the same time, this was not my primary source of income. This was something I was doing because I was passionate about. Sure. And it was something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time as this, I was also pursuing a, a career in public relations. So okay. every Monday, you know, self-enclosed, like Monday start to finish, I was doing the show. Okay. Tuesday through Friday and a lot of Saturdays as well, I was doing public relations at an agency in Brooklyn, New York called Jack Taylor PR. Okay. So while I'm doing the MMA stuff, which is my passion and what I'm getting paid for mm-hmm. more than I could have ever dreamed to just do MMA stuff, mm-hmm. I was also bringing in income doing public relations. Now, some of the clients were in the fight space, you know, uh, kickboxing organizations, MMA organizations, but Mm -hmm. some of the clients were just in fitness equipment. Some Mm -hmm. of the clients were in marketing and advertising. Mm -hmm. Funnily enough, I was doing PR now for marketing and advertising agencies. (laughs) So I was doing a lot of just PR work and building up my skill set, which I think helped me a, a lot across the MMA stuff that I'm kind of doing now. So I was doing the PR stuff. I did that for eight years. I was producing Ariel show for eight years as well. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was Ariel show transitioned mm-hmm. one more time, just like it had done when it came from AOL uh, to Vox media, mm-hmm. ESPN acquired Ariel's talent by signing him to a new contract. His deal with, uh, with Vox mm-hmm. was up and he jumped over to ESPN to do reporting and journalism and video work and all that stuff there. And so in that transition period, we had been working together now for eight years mm-hmm. with me doing all those little things behind the, behind the scenes. Sure. And he said, Hey, I'd like to, you know, see if my guy can, can help get this yeah. thing off the ground again. Yep. And they were open to that idea. Um, the, the, the bosses at ESPN, you know, welcomed me with open arms. I was kind of just kind of consulting initially. Sure. And then they found a part-time role for me where mm-hmm. I was able to kind of help on that show still. So sure. at this moment, I'm still doing PR. Mm-hmm. Uh, most, uh, you know, full time, definitely, even though I was not working on Mondays, it's still at least 40 hours a week. So I'm doing my full time gig, doing PR and doing this MMA stuff again on the side. Yeah. And during this period, a job opened up in social media. Now, I am a huge user of social media. Sure. And always have been, but I wasn't quite somebody who pursued a social media path. I mm-hmm. definitely didn't go to any classes in college. I think I was a little older and a little before social media became an actual like job career path sure. that was before taught that in college. Wave. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'm 32 going on 33. Mm-hmm. I was definitely a little bit before social media was something that was viable and something that was taught sure. in college classrooms. It was something that we were all using, mm-hmm. but I don't think people saw at that time the money that was going to be involved in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but suffice it to say, so uh, that job opened up, you know, I figured I have enough MMA knowledge and I have enough social media user experience that maybe I can make this work. Mm-hmm. And I applied for the gig, interviewed at ESPN. So this is still an ESPN position. Sure. And then got the job. And from there, so this was last January. I started from there. I got the gig, hit the ground running on that stuff, left the PR business um, okay. and left producing the show with Ariel. But now I work with Ariel more than I ever did, even when I was producing a show. So it's funny <laughs> how that works. 
That is funny. And yeah, I definitely can see it because I'm a huge consumer of anything mixed martial arts. So it's always interesting whenever I'm scrolling through, I'll see the exact same thing a couple times and I never know which one I'm seeing it on, whether it's (laughs) Ariel's handle or ESPN MMA's handle. Yeah. So one thing that I did want to highlight in your experience is something that I, I say whenever I try to give advice to college students that are looking for it. And it's that you do need some off time. You need time to unwind. We all do. But the things that you do in your off time will often lead to whatever your next career is going to be. And I heard that saying once, and then I started observing the people around me. And I noticed that the people that were trying to improve themselves or follow their passion or trying to find their passion in their off time, whenever they were not working, they eventually started doing very interesting things. And the other people who would just play golf all the time, they were in the exact same position with maybe a little bit extra skill at golf. And sometimes mm. they were just as horrible as they were before. So <laughs> that's very interesting. And I, and I love that that is something that is a part of your story because I think that's important for people. Yeah, it, it definitely is. As I said, like I was getting paid to do this MMA thing on Mondays and still getting my full-time work done the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. But I would have done it for free. Sure. I would have done it for free if, if that was the opportunity. Now, uh, you know, again, like, I'm hoping that people don't listen to this podcast and go, oh, I need to work for free. That's that's <laughs> not the truth. You should always work for what you're worth. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in the idea of working for free now. An internship is different, mm-hmm. but I definitely don't believe in the idea of like, we'll give you, you know, a byline. It happens a lot in media. We'll give you a byline, but we can't pay you. Like that type, sure. those types of opportunities. I don't believe in those. I think you should be compensated for your work at all times. Mm-hmm. But mentality wise, I would have done it for free. If they had told me you could do this and and, and we're not going to pay you, I would have been willing to jump because I was so passionate about sure. it. Now, the thing I'll say, and, and, you know, we kind of touched on this earlier, but I think it's mm-hmm. important to, to point out is that, you know, you can follow the pipeline and you can do all those things. And I think you should, and I think they're important. But the one thing that I found across all of my jobs, especially in the PR job, and, and it made itself clear to all the other ones is relationships are key. You okay. need to, you need to take chances. You need to reach out to people that, that might not respond to you. And you yeah. have to prepare yourself for that eventuality. You have to be, be willing to say, okay, maybe this email doesn't get answered. Sure. Maybe this, uh, this message on Facebook doesn't get answered, but you have to take those opportunities and those chances because you really don't know who's happens to be at their computer at that time and willing mm-hmm. to give somebody an opportunity. So like I did with my first email um, to Ariel Helwani, Take some chances, reach out to people who are doing what you want to do or doing something related to what you want to do and just make those connections. Building that network is going to be so valuable. And even if it doesn't pay immediate dividends, there's a lot of times where you make a connection with somebody and the opportunity for you guys to work together doesn't present itself for years. Yep. Um, But that connection. You just took the words out of my mouth (laughs) that I was going to say right after that, because um, I'm I'm part of a um, co-ed professional business fraternity called Alpha Kappa Psi. And that is something that I try to tell them all the time. Like you're really excited about this fraternity and this group of business minded students that uh, you're going to join them. And then you're probably going to get a little tired of it just because uh, it (laughs) might not be what you think it's going to be, or you don't see the immediate value, but you're not going to in any type of networking generally. So it's going to take a little while. I love that you pointed that out. Yeah, you you have to make those relationships because those will be the ones that pay dividends. Yep. People are going to look at your resume, but what, and, and this is just me speaking as somebody who's hired people mm-hmm. over, over the course of my career. I'll look at resumes, but I don't really know who that person is until I meet them. I don't sure. really know who that person is until I sit down with them face-to-face, kind of see how they think, see how they work, have a conversation, get to know them in an environment that's not, hey, here's me presenting the very best of myself and none of, none of the real human or, or flawed elements of myself. I really mm-hmm. don't feel like I get to know somebody until I do that. So I can look at resumes all day, but I like to sometimes pick resumes that are interesting and unique compared to the ones that are perfect cookie cutter fits for the, for the position. Sure. Because I think it's a lot easier to build your skill set to match the position mm-hmm. if you have skills in other areas and are, and are a highly skilled professional, sure. if that makes sense. Like I think, you know, the people who followed that career path to, to a T may not necessarily be the ones who are going to do it best if there is somebody more capable in all realms um, outside of that. But anyway, sure. just, just no. as somebody who has hired people, I think it's important that you be well-rounded 
and make those connections. No, yeah, I think you're touching on a few things. One, and I think it really depends on the role. There are roles that are very, very technical, like you have um, engineers or electrical engineers or accountants that need to know things that might not be applicable. But the amount of creativity that you need in a job, I think, is directly correlated to um, the benefit that you're going to get from a diversity of thought from the people that you hire. And I think that's what you're talking about. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of goes straight into my next question. So your role is titled as the senior social media specialist. Yep. Would you say that that title is accurate for you? Is that exactly <laughs> what you are? Or are you a brand manager? Or you mentioned PR? Are you a PR expert? Are you media expert? <laughs> are you marketing expert? Um, it's a good question. I would definitely call myself a PR expert. It's not what I do currently. That is not my profession. That is not my business any longer. I did it as recently as last year. But I definitely learned enough. I think I, I you know, I was working at a boutique agency. It was, it was a, a smaller agency at the time, which has now grown significantly. But I was thrown into the fire. Like sure. I was basically put into a position where I had to be doing PR for companies from day one um, mm-hmm. all the way to year eight. So I learned a lot and it's helped me a lot in all of my different jobs that I've done being thrown into the fire that way. I learned to, to fly pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely call myself a PR expert. What I do as a profession, what I do as a trade, mm-hmm. I don't know if senior quite fits because sure. I've only been doing it for a little <laughs> over a year. So senior more in status and title, much more so than calling myself a veteran of it. Sure. Um, but I, I will say that I'm proud of kind of the progress of our accounts and do mm-hmm. think that I do have a special skill in social media that I really didn't know I had until I kind of once again got thrown into the fire. Okay. You know, as I said earlier, I applied for this job not having done any internships in social, never having run any accounts other than my personal accounts, but I took to it very quickly. And I took that same skill set that I had in PR and in producing Ariel show mm-hmm. and took that over to the, to the social media side of things. Again, you know, I, I got myself well-rounded and, and had these foundational things as a professional mm-hmm. that I could lean on in social media and kind of applied them to that. So Yes, I'm a social media specialist by trade. I would say mm-hmm. it's accurate. I would say I'm, okay. I, I consider myself good at it. I'm proud of what the work we do on these social media accounts. Sure. The senior part, a little eh, maybe <laughs> um, just because I manage people, that probably still fits. Yeah. But I would definitely say, yeah, that is, that is my job. And that is mm-hmm. what I'm, I've found now that I'm probably most passionate about. I really sure. love that dopamine hit. I really love that immediate <laughs> feeling of people looking at my content and giving mm-hmm. me an immediate reaction. If it's a like, it's a retweet, it's a comment, it's a like on Instagram, it's a like on Facebook. If, you know, people are going to be ruthless, people are going to either love it or hate it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really, I really thrive for that kind of immediate feedback. Sure. And going back to my question of what advice you would have for other people that want to do what you do, be a social media specialist, how important is understanding data and being able to evaluate data? Because I have to assume with that big of a brand that you are in charge of with social media. And let's, let's face it. It's we're we're not in the world of newspaper or radio or TV anymore. Social media is where people get their news. So that is a very important role. And there's gotta be some data that you have to understand because all those likes and retweets are really (laughs) cool. But then I'm assuming that you guys are, are looking at that data to see what works and what doesn't. Yeah, there are second, third, fourth, fifth layers of data beyond just the immediate like likes and comments and things sure. like that. And those are crucial. I would say it's a cross section between two things. It's mm-hmm. the data. It's, it's the, you know, the hard facts and the feel. Okay. Um, there's a little bit of feel involved. There's knowing your audience in a way that's a little bit different than just knowing, hey, this post performed X versus this post performed Y. There's okay. a little bit of that like authenticity that is required. There's a little bit of that brand voice that is required. So it's the cross section of those two things, but drilling down for a second on the data. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's super crucial and it's super, I would say it's almost more helpful than necessary. Like you can do social media and you can do posting on social media accounts without looking at the data. And you can have a rough idea based on like, okay, this post got 600 likes versus this post got 6,000 likes Mm -hmm. of what's quote unquote good. But if you really want to be good at what you're doing, you need the data. You Mm -hmm. need to be able to look at at your post history and say, okay, this post did really well. 
Why did this post do really well? Sure. Oh, because it features this fighter. In, in, and I'm using myself as a very, very specific example. Sure. Oh, because it features this fighter or because it featured this type of highlight or because it featured this type of message. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of data that we can look at on the back end by looking at our post performance and other metrics around the post that you know the front end user might not be able to see. Mm -hmm. And you know now have a, a, a really directional guideline. Mm -hmm. Being able to say, okay, we can replicate success if we follow the data here. We can replicate sure. success if we use this fighter in this capacity at this time with this execution and really get into the minutia of, of what that job is. Mm -hmm. So data is ultimately very, very important. But mm -hmm. what I think is probably the most important thing on social media and, and getting a gig in social media mm -hmm. is A, you know, those things that we talked about just generally for job networking, sure. um, following the pipeline, getting internships with a social media agency or getting internships with a, with a brand that needs social media help mm -hmm. um, and experience. And nobody's going to be great right away. So you have sure. to kind of you know put in your dues, but it would be that part combined with finding an authentic voice. Mm -hmm. um, it's the other part of that secret sauce that I was talking about. Yeah. And it's, you have to be able to connect with people on a level beyond just serving them content. Mm -hmm. You can serve them content. And you can probably do pretty well doing that. But if you're able to connect with them on a level that they feel like you're speaking directly to them mm -hmm. and that authentic voice, um, you will do far better Man, than anybody expects. This is the second time. I don't know how many more times this is going to happen. You just stole the words right out of my mouth with authenticity because um, that is something that I just noticed recently. So uh, it took me about eight months to write my first book. And then my daughter was born. And a month later, I published that book. So my first and main job is being a stay-at-home dad full-time. So um, I haven't had much time because I'm also a self-published author. So that's really yep. cool because I don't have any masters to answer to, but then I'm also the sales department and I'm my own marketing <laughs> department. And yep. I hate that. It, it does not feel genuine. Like, I feel like I'm a sleazy car salesman whenever I try to put together some type of sales pitch to whoever. But so I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm at the beginning of my journey and I've been betting big on LinkedIn because the college students that I want to connect with, they are on LinkedIn, not all college students, but the ones that I'm looking at. So I, I have articles that I write on LinkedIn and been looking at different ways of, of getting my exposure and increasing the people that view it and all these things. And then this, uh, this past February, I was speaking in Vegas to a fraternity and uh, a couple of weeks later, when I finally got around to it, I got the professional photos back from those people. And uh, I decided to post something on my LinkedIn just saying that, hey, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to speak at this fraternity. And it reminded me of why I love doing what I do. And I maybe had a few more sentences. And on top of that, I did like three hashtags instead of trying to get all the hashtags that I think would match it. That post has increased my visibility on LinkedIn more than anything I've ever done. And this past January, I spoke at a conference where I got to meet the um, Miss USA from 2016, who is an Army veteran, and I'm a Marine Corps veteran. So I posted something on LinkedIn that I got to meet her, and she randomly retweeted mine and said, it was great meeting Chris Molina. And that got a lot of um, views for my profile. This doubled that, and that one post now has 15,000 views. And I'm getting likes on it every single day. The lesson to me from that was that people can see through things that are not authentic and they want to view and consume authenticity more than anything. Does that make sense? It does. And, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you got that takeaway from that because that is, that is what you should have learned from that. That is mm -hmm. exactly what you should have learned from that is those messages that are speaking to something authentic that people can identify with mm -hmm. are always going to do better than look at me with this person or here's a picture of me with this person or I went to this thing because everybody now at a very baseline level is doing that. Sure. So the, the marketplace is super crowded with people who are going to events and showing like, hey, look at where I'm at, that people have now started to prioritize those things way lower. They started mm -hmm. to push that down and be looking for something that's a little richer of an experience, a little more authentic to the point that it's just kind of peeling away the layers, peeling away those levels of like, this is what everybody's doing, looking sure. for something that's a little bit unique, looking for something that's authentically that person that they can then latch onto and identify with themselves. So sure. 
yeah, that takeaway is, is spot on. Mm -hmm. Um, and something I encourage for everybody, like live the life that you truly are living on Mm -hmm. social media too. Yeah. And and you will see the rewards of that. And I think that was something that, uh, Darren Till was just talking about. Yes, just that's being, right. Being, Till, a fighter. being authentically you. And I think he's seeing the, the benefits of that because he's just posting things that are authentically him. I'm, I'm talking about it like it's only feel and or like a combination of feel and data. But like Darren Till is a perfect example of that. He was just talking about being authentic on social media. The posts we make about Darren Till being authentic on social media or talking about being authentic on social media are the posts that do better sure. than other posts. It's yep. just, it, it's not a very difficult concept to think about and conceptualize. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult concept to execute because sure. everybody's first instinct is to show their best self on social media and to show those things they think people want to see. Mm-hmm. But they have to realize, and I think it comes with experience and you've now had that experience and seen mm-hmm. it in action, that it's not what people want to see that mm-hmm. you should be posting. It's what you want people to see that's an authentic message that you should be posting. Yeah, I think that's a great message. So with the role of you being the social media guy for ESPN MMA and ESPN ringside, I've got to think that there's a a bigger responsibility on your shoulders than there maybe was before. And I also have to assume that with a brand like ESPN, they had tons of training and guidelines for you to adhere to. So what has that transition been like? And, and have you learned more than you thought you would or, or less than you thought you would? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I'll start with the responsibility. Sure. I definitely feel like there's a huge responsibility and, and one that I hadn't been quite in this exact position before in speaking to an audience of multiple millions of people very directly. Mm-hmm. Like I now, you know, on a day-to-day basis, interact multiple times with millions of people across our, our various accounts, which is not something that I had um, done previously and not something that was part of my day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Um, on the PR side of things, I would deliver messages to media people that would then translate that and, and do media posting and videos and things like that with my clients. But now I am the direct source of a lot of that communication, which is, which is a huge responsibility and not one I take lightly, but one sure. that I think my PR training kind of adapted me for, it, okay. you know, gave me a good base and a good skill set to have. So I fully accept that responsibility. I'm kind of proud to have that responsibility, but it is one that can be daunting at times just because we are messaging to millions of people at, at one given moment. Sure. And then um, as far as the uh, training and the, and the systems and the things that were in place at ESPN, they had been doing social media at such a high level before I even got there, mm-hmm. you know, ESPN and sports center had in the double digit millions, you know, 10, 13, whatever it was mm-hmm. millions of people on just their Instagram accounts alone, not to uh, count the millions that they have on Twitter and Facebook and other platforms, not mm-hmm. to count the other niche sport handles like soccer and ESPNW for the women's side of things. There's tons of different accounts that they have. And, They've been doing this so well for so long that there were principles and guidelines that once we hopped on, they gave to us that we were able to, to run with. Mm-hmm. And I think what we brought to the table or what I brought to the table is that authenticity that we talked about in mm-hmm. being an MMA consumer, being an MMA fan, having worked in MMA. Mm-hmm. I translated my MMA knowledge and my feel for the sport and my ability to kind of direct storylines and things like that, mm-hmm. tack that onto the technical training that they got us up to speed on very quickly um, and combine those two things for success. Yeah. That might've been a good reason why they hired you. They saw that synergy that was going to happen. Yeah. And I think what's important is like at a place like ESPN, MMA is not the uh, most known sport amongst the people that work there. Mm -hmm. There there's many more basketball fans, many more football fans, many more hockey, baseball, you name it fans, then there are going to be MMA fans just as there are in the population, right? Like the the number of true MMA fans is lower than the fans of those mainstream sports. Mm -hmm. So I think seeking expertise in MMA was Mm -hmm. a very smart move on their part. And I benefited from that and something that they were essentially thinking, Hey, if we're able to give them the tools to do this, hopefully they can combine that knowledge and make it happen. And so far it's been very fruitful. Yeah. When it comes to mixed martial arts and, and the media, when you're at the level that you are at right now and, and your entire journey along because mixed martial arts wasn't at ESPN and hasn't been at that no. high level before you guys even got there. So when it comes to those two things, MMA and media, 
it's a pretty small community for both those things. Is that fair? Yeah, the Venn diagram on that is is limited for sure. (laughs) And so when you think about the highly successful individuals that you've come in contact with in those realms and the people who have had longevity in those industries, what are some common characteristics that that they all share? What are some of the common denominators? Uh, A bit of it being those things that we touched upon earlier, which is taking chances and making connections. Ariel is a great example of that. From his start, he would just message fighters and athletes on MySpace and then (laughs) Facebook and then text message. He's built an entire network of people in the fight community that he has access to because he developed those relationships Mm -hmm. and because now he has every fighter's phone number and they want him to have their phone number. So um, it's that relationship building. It's not being afraid to reach out. It's it's, you know, taking a chance on, hey, maybe this person is willing to talk to me and, and give me the time of day because mm-hmm. you don't know the answer until you actually try it. Sure. So it's a bit of that. A lot of the people that are successful in MMA media have that instinct to just take a shot. Mm-hmm. And it's also grinding. It's also hard work. Like sure. if, you, if you are getting into MMA media or media in general because you think it's going to be uh, a quick means to doing what you love. The reality is that's not going to happen. Sure. You need to put in the time. Um, media is not a position where you get in and you're doing what you want right away. So mm-hmm. you have to be willing to say, this is a foundational step that I'm going to take. That's ultimately going to get me to my end goal. Mm-hmm. And you have to keep pushing and you have to keep trying until you ultimately get there. If, if you're the type of person and this is not a judgment. This is more um, just knowing that there are different types of people out there. Mm-hmm. If you're the type of person who needs that kind of immediacy, I wouldn't recommend media as, as the, the job for you. Sure. Like, take up, a, take up a, a trade, you know, find mm-hmm. something where you know, hey, my path is set. I do this and I will get XYZ position. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can take that path and not have to put yourself through the ringer. If yep. you want to pursue media, um, you're going to have to be in it for the long haul. You're going to have to, you know, grind early and often and ultimately see the rewards on the back end. Yeah. And I think uh, that dealing with rejection, which we've kind of talked about a couple of times now is very important because even for me, and I'm not in really in media and I'm definitely not in MMA, but in order to get interviews like the one we're doing right now that I'm really enjoying, I had to put myself out there and, and hope that somebody was going to respond. So I think that's very important. And so the last question that I have for you before we start wrapping this up is probably the vein that I wish I could have just gone in and maybe, maybe I should have of just talking MMA with you because hmm. my wife doesn't really watch MMA and uh, my daughter doesn't understand the words that I say yet. So um, <laughs> there's a, there's not many people that I could talk to, but so MMA has had a big shift with both the the UFC and Bellator betting very big on streaming with uh, ESPN mm. Plus and DAZN. With that shift, those organizations adjusted to the times like they should have done. And we've been seeing more focus and more jobs that deal with social media and with the management of those new digital sides of business. Looking forward, are there any things in your mind that in the next five to 10 years, do you think that we're going to see any other major shifts in MMA? Hmm. Um, like for example, do you think that MMA will move towards the NBA and the NFL and actually have collective bargaining? Uh, another example would be, do you think that Bellator or one championship or PFL will gradually rise to be a legit competitor to the UFC or, or is there something else? Yeah, th- those are, uh, let me answer those cause that'll be easier. And sure. then I'll, and then I'll jump to maybe some of my, um, more speculative answers to that. Sure. So do I think that fighters will collectively bargain and ultimately end up with the union. Yep. It's hard to say yes or no, because it's, it's, it's entirely dependent on the fighters at this point. There's mm-hmm. no amount of influence that I think media members or fans or anybody can kind of utilize to make that happen. It's entirely in the hands of the fighters. Mm-hmm. So it's really just predicting, do I think fighters will work together? And ultimately I don't, I okay. think the, environment is set up so that you're competitors with those other people in your division now even outside of the cage inside the cage competing against each other and outside the cage you're competing for those opportunities right you're like 
Now, there's a certain level of that that's present in any sport, in basketball, in football, and, and all those things. But what you're representing there is a brand. You're representing a team or you're mm -hmm. representing the, the larger league. In MMA, you're representing yourself. You are the commodity. You are the trade. And ultimately, if business is good for you, it's not good for somebody else. Sure. So the system is set up where if I'm the highest paid athlete, why would I take money out of my pocket <laughs> to help somebody who's lower on the card. Mm -hmm. Now that's a philosophical question, right? Sure. I don't actually mean me myself that I wouldn't consider that opportunity, but logically what you will need is a lot of people up top sacrificing for a lot of people in the middle and in the bottom. Mm -hmm. Ultimately that's a very hard thing to ask when the disparity between what the people at the top and what the people at the middle and the bottom are making. Mm -hmm. So unless there is a major change to kind of how that pay structure is, is done. Sure. I don't see the fighters ultimately working together and forming a union. Sure. And you think ever, my question was the next five to 10 years, but you don't think that will ever happen. Not as currently constructed. It would okay. require some kind of other major change. I think okay. that would then spark that. Sure. Um, but MMA has not like, I know it's a newer sport, but it's been 20 plus years now, even 25 years mm -hmm. of just the UFC. We're not even talking about the foundational like martial arts elements that came before um, UFC, mm -hmm. uh, before MMA. So it's been around for long enough that I think if we were going to at least start moving toward that, we'd be hearing the rumblings. Okay. But instead, we've had a lot of failed like fighter organizations and yeah. things like that that yep. just not ha have not been able to get it done. So yeah, it's going to require huge sacrifice from people at the top. And okay. I'm not one to like the, the turnover in MMA is so fast mm -hmm. that the people at the top changes all the time. Okay. So there may be somebody or a group of somebodies that come along that go, this is a, a priority for me. Mm -hmm. Making this change is something that I want to do at that point. Maybe it does change, sure. but as currently constructed, I think it's very difficult. It's mm -hmm. very difficult. Yep. Um, asking about Bellator, PFL, one FC and other competing organizations. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I, I don't think anybody can ever be the, the equivalent of the UFC. They've had such a first mover advantage. They've, they are now synonymous with the sport of MMA. Yep. A lot of the people that I interact with on a regular basis call it UFC sure. instead of MMA. So when you are, when you are Kleenex is to the tissue yep. or Q-tip is to the cotton swab, it's very difficult to kind of supplant that. Yep. So I don't really see anybody rising to that level. Mm -hmm. What I will say is that I think organizations need to find what they are and not try to be the UFC. Okay. I would try to compete with them in spaces where they're operating poorly, mm -hmm. spaces where you see holes, spaces where you see the UFC is not doing this as well as they could be sure. versus taking them head on in what they're absolutely best at. Okay. And I think Bellator is an example of an organization that's trying to kind of do the same thing as the UFC, but ha you know, it's, it's a bit of a, an uphill climb. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Are there any other shifts yeah. that, you, that you could see in the future? I think the, one of the major shifts, and it's already kind of happening now, is ultimately this is going to be an online product. Sure. MMA is going to be something that is delivered to fans nearly exclusively online at some point. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the TV events are starting to go away and people are going to streaming services. It just makes sense for the kind of culture and environment that MMA fans represent. Yeah. They're so online savvy. They have disposable income to be able to purchase these events and able to purchase these streaming services. Mm -hmm. It just makes sense that you would get delivered this content online. So I think we will continue to move more and more and more towards services like DAZN and ESPN Plus and all those services where fight fans are now getting their, their uh, fights mm -hmm. um, and away from the traditional products. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I posed that question, not just to talk a little bit of inside baseball with somebody that knows a lot more about uh, something I'm passionate about, but also I think that's important for people to, whenever they found something that they're passionate about, to try and predict where that industry is going, because that's where the jobs are going to be. And if you can align yourself with the skills that are needed for the jobs that are going to open up in that industry, then you're going to be well-placed to try and capitalize on that. So you think if people want to get into mixed martial arts or combat sports, it would benefit them to maybe lean towards the digital side of whatever their discipline um, or interests are? A hundred percent right. And, and a great example of kind of this in execution is earlier, 
I was saying, and we were talking about social media, not being a job at the time that I was in school. Sure. But it was something that was there. Mm-hmm. And if I was smart enough, which I was not, but many people <laughs> were, they were smart enough to realize, Hey, this is going to be the future of how people are consuming things. You later in the, in, in this podcast said, news is all delivered via social media now. Sure. And the reality is there are people who were able to predict that and knew that. Mm-hmm. So finding those trends and, and being ahead of that curve is so, so, so important in, in order to be a first mover and in, in order to be able to establish yourself. So yes, I would say the world is digital now. And if you're looking for positions that are in a digital marketplace in a digital playing field, you need to pursue those opportunities and get skills in those digital communications. Let's say you were in the market for uh, hiring an intern for yeah. your current job as social media specialist. What could people do, college students do, to impress you with that resume? Granted, you already said that maybe you don't lean towards the cookie cutter resume, but let's say people are trying to go towards that digital and taking that advice. What are some things they can do to have their resume be a bit more strong than it is right now? The number one thing, it's, it's super easy. It's mm-hmm. do it. It's actually try it and do it. So if you come to me and your resume is, I went to this college, I got a 3.8 GPA, I did an internship at this agency, I did this and this and this, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. If the next person's resume is, I started this social media account and got it to 100,000 followers doing Mm -hmm. X, Y, Z, I'm picking that person 10 times out of 10. I don't care where they went to college, I don't care where you know, they did their internship. Mm-hmm. If you can prove it, if you can show that you have the, the self-starting nature sure. to be able to just say, Hey, I'm going to try this and learn on the job. Then I'm going to gravitate toward that 10 times out of 10. Mm-hmm. In fact, if somebody showed up to, to me and again, like there's a bit of a different structure for ESP and Tyree system. So sure. in my current position, it wouldn't just be, Hey, let me send Eric an email. There's a much <laughs> more formal structure, but yeah let's imagine a world where it's essentially everybody sends their emails directly to me and I get to pick. Uh If you had a blank sheet of paper and right in the middle was just twitter.com slash your handle. Mm -hmm. And I looked at everything that was on that site and loved it. Mm -hmm. I'd hire you before I'd hire anybody else. (laughs) That's really interesting to hear. And I think it's in line with what I've heard from other hiring managers when it comes to almost anything like they, they want to see the product. They want to see what you can actually do. So that's pretty good to hear from somebody that works for a, a brand like you work for with ESPN. So is there anything that you would like to leave with the listeners before we start wrapping up? Um, I don't really have plugs, quote unquote. Um, <laughs> I don't have any like personal products. So yeah, just a, just another shout out for, uh, for the stuff that we're doing over on the ESPN social media handles. If you're a fan of at all of MMA, I would encourage you to follow. If you're not a fan of MMA, it might be a little bit harder to, uh, to get through. But also if you're somebody who's like looking for best practices and things that help for mm. social media, um, I'd also recommend giving us a follow just so you can kind of see the nature of um, how, we, how we look at social media. Yeah, that is a great point that I didn't even think of. You have the the expertise obviously of the industry that you're in but you also have a big machine behind you that is investing in the success of that so anybody that wants to look at another social media handle to see how a big organization with lots of money does it (laughs) that is a perfect example that's really interesting Um, yeah so if people would like to contact you or follow you is there any way they could do that or do you just recommend them to go over to espn mma or espn ringside I have a personal Twitter handle, but to be honest, I barely look at that thing anymore. Like I'm so (laughs) locked in and so engaged on um, ESPN MMA. Like that's where I'm posting a lot of my stuff, Mm -hmm. but I do on my personal Twitter, Twitter handle, which is twitter.com slash New York Rick, Mm N-E-W-Y-O-R-K-R-I-C. That's my Twitter. I do have an email, I believe. I think I have a contact email up there. Um, So if anybody wants to reach out, just shoot me an email. Sure. Um, so I like ending my interviews with asking some offbeat questions, some this or that questions, and uh, feel sure. free to have just one word answer or a little bit more. Okay. So are you ready? Ready. All right. Morning person or night owl? Night owl. Coffee or tea? Tea. What is your favorite way to unwind? I don't unwind. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't gotten that one yet. Summer heat or winter cold? 
Uh, either in the right circumstance. Okay. But, uh, okay. That, that's, I hate sitting on the fence. Uh, winter cold. <laughs> Knicks or Nets? Knicks. Favorite NBA team? And uh, specifically, like a player, coach, or era? Like a lot of people love the 95, yeah. 96 Bulls. Yep. Late, uh, late 2000s Cavs because they won a championship. Ah, okay. What's more disrespectful, being crossed over or getting swatted when you're driving to the hole? Oof. Um, <laughs> getting crossed over because okay. you're in open space and it sucks. <laughs> Strike force or WEC? <laughs> Hit me with some, some hard ones. Um, I'm going to go WEC. Okay. Glory or K1? um heyday of k1 okay for mma what do you think will happen first the 12 to 6 elbow rule will be changed or ufc implements a 165 division 165 division i hope that one happens a lot sooner (laughs) favorite place to go out for food in new york oh man um See, this is such a like local, where do you live, neighborhood type question. Um, sure. Are you putting me on the spot? Um, <laughs> like one, one choice. Okay. I'm from Queens. Go to either Christina's or Cherry Valley. They're right across the street from each other okay. for a sandwich. Okay. What type of sandwich? They make all types of sandwiches. That's why it's the best. So ah. like, there's not just one, but they have like a board with like 200 different selections of sandwiches. Christina's, Cherry Valley, can't go wrong with either. Hmm. My brother used to live in Astoria, and I remember I went down for a sandwich at some random shop whenever I was on leave in the Marine Corps. And I was like, this is the best sandwich I've ever had in my life. It's probably one of those. (laughs) It was probably one of those. Place that you want to visit before you kick the bucket? Hmm. Um, I've never been to the Pacific Northwest, so I'd love to go to either Portland or Oregon. Ah, okay. And last question. Barring any job that you've had in your lifetime, what would be your dream job if you could choose? Uh, NBA player? Does that count even though I'm not physically qualified? I mean, that's a, that, that is a job. Um, you you I, said I, it's a dream. That's true. I mean, <laughs> you, you'd have to have some like Muggsy Bow skills. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe I'll give a more realistic one. Um, uh, UFC president. Why not? Ah, what's, what's the first thing you're doing? You're UFC president today. Oh boy. Let's say there's no coronavirus. There's no hysteria yeah, right, going on. Right. Yeah. Um, what's the first thing I'm doing? I'm opening up 165. There you go. You will have me buying every pay-per-view if you do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, New York, Rick, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciated it. No, thanks, Chris. And, and thank you for your service as well, being a no, veteran. Th- thank you for your support. So that is the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you all for listening. I had an absolutely great time speaking with New York Rick because I I love talking about mixed martial arts and I love talking to professionals in different industries. And given that he's an expert in media and public relations and mixed martial arts, I thought that was fantastic. And because he is with such a big brand with ESPN, I think we can all take a lot away from the things that he had to say and for all of you that are in the realm of social media or public relations or marketing i hope you guys had some really good takeaways for yourself especially people that are starting out or that aspire to be in that type of position if you're curious or you think you want to uh, contact new york rick Feel free to follow him on his Instagram handle or his uh, Twitter handle. And then absolutely, if you are at all interested in combat sports, I would recommend following ESPN MMA or ESPN Ringside on any and every platform. I obviously follow it because that's a passion of mine, but they really have some good content there. If you're interested in more content about being a better professional or a better leader, you can head over to chris-molina.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-M-O-L-I-N-A.com. You can scroll to the bottom and you can click, I want free leadership content sent straight to my inbox. And if you do that, then you'll sign up for the email list that I have. I send out free content about being a better professional and a better leader straight to you for free. And you can unsubscribe at any time if you find out that it's not something that you want to be part of 
You can also find me on LinkedIn where you'll be able to access all the articles that I write. And if you're interested in reading my first book titled I'm in a leadership role, now what? You can find it anywhere books are sold. Lastly, uh, I have one favor to ask, and if you have a few minutes, I'd love to hear your feedback. You can leave a review about this podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen, or you can send me an email. And my email address is chris at chris-molina.com. And if you read my book, I'd also love to hear your views on that. So until next time, remember that it's never too early or too late to start your leadership journey or to start investing in yourself through professional development.